This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Digital trends show up every day in business decisions and actions. West Monroe is the number one strategic partner translating technology into financial value for companies. The This Is Digital podcast applies West Monroe's two decades of secrets and best practices to your business's benefit. Favorite past topics from the last three seasons include how AI and the next generation of employees are shaping the workplace, becoming a product company, Highmark's journey, and what does it mean to put the customer first. Learn more at westmonroe.com. This is VEASAN's College Football Betting Podcast. Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast. It is a wonderful time of year as the calendar has turned to November 1st. That means Maction is upon us, and we will get to that in this podcast with the Maction King himself. Adam Burke at Skating Tripods on Twitter. He is over there. I am Tim Murray. Adam, I know that your write-up on vcin.com came home, but I just re-watched, courtesy of Scott Van Pelt and Stanford Steve, the horrific, disgusting act that was the TCU-West Virginia finish, and I kind of want to throw up in my mouth, but I'm happy that at least you got home to the window on West Virginia minus seven, because I had plus seven and a half. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the thing about it is TCU had nine yards per play in that game. So the the handicap kind of played out in the way I expected it to in that I didn't expect West Virginia to stop TCU, and they didn't. I mean, TCU really dominated that box score, but, you know, 10-point game, things kind of happened. But like I said, I mean, TCU almost doubled West Virginia in terms of yards per play. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of the nature of college football, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad glad someone profited off that. But I did have under on Monday night, uh, 45 and a half, and somehow it stayed under 45 and a half thanks to a missed extra point. So it all kind of works itself out. But enough of my personal bets. Let's look ahead to another big week. And of course, every Monday you can check out the latest power ratings courtesy of Adam Burke on vcin.com. So let's get to the stock report. Adam Stock Report. And we'll start, Adam, as we always do, on a positive nature, fresh off of Halloween night, a little stock up. Stock up. All right, so a interesting week nonetheless. Nothing, I would say, too crazy, but another really positive performance from the Tennessee Volunteers. So it feels like this was a team, it's funny, we talked about Adam early on in the season that this team was in the eyes of Vegas, a top 10 team, and then a top five team. And each and every week they keep impressing and another impressive performance. And maybe what some people thought myself included would be maybe a little look ahead spot, a little sleepy spot, not the case, Tennessee throttled Kentucky. So what have you done with the Vols this week? Yeah, the biggest raise I had actually Fresno State, but that's just because Jake Hayner came back, their quarterback. But for Tennessee, I bumped them up five points. That was the second biggest increase for me uh, in my Paul ratings here this week. And, I mean, that was a thorough dismantling of Kentucky. You know, of of Will Levis, a guy that a lot of people are talking about with a lot of first-round buzz. Some people even saying that he could go ahead of C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I'll believe that when I see it. But, I mean, Tennessee dominated that game from start to finish. In a pretty difficult spot, as you mentioned, you know, coming off of the Alabama game. Then, of course, they've got, you know, Georgia coming up here. But, I mean, just a very, very thoroughly impressive performance from Tennessee. So, 
I gave them a five point bump and uh, I guess they had that UT Martin game in between maybe to catch a little bit of a breather, but still, I mean, they dominated LSU and I think they meet their match here this week with Georgia, but I did bump the Vols five points and now they're all the way up to number four, I believe in my power ratings, just a little bit behind Alabama uh, about six points behind Georgia on a neutral field. Yeah, and right now, as we record this, the market is Tennessee catching eight. And look, they were a trendy dog a couple weeks ago when they hosted Alabama. And obviously, that came home with an outright win. We will discuss that game uh, ad nauseum, I'm sure, all throughout the week here on this podcast, on Thursday's podcast as well. We'll even get to a little Heisman discussion a little bit later on in this show because it feels like it's down to a two-man race. But yeah, what a, what an impressive performance we just saw from Tennessee, forty-four to six over Kentucky, and uh, yeah, that was that was uh, that was really impressive. I'm curious, Adam, what do you do with Tennessee? How much do you or don't you bump this team up with the return of their All-American wide receiver Cedric Tillman? Obviously, not that big of an impact, but the most important piece for them is. He got some game action under his belt against Kentucky. You would think full week of practice this week heading into that showdown against uh, against Georgia. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you want to be at full strength as much as you possibly can. And, you know, that's something where the the passing attack is such a big part of their offense. Hennon Hooker having a monstrous season for them. So it's definitely an upgrade. You know, it's definitely beneficial for them to have everybody, especially going into a game against Georgia where – you know, look, I mean, Alabama, as good as they are offensively, there's something missing on defense for the Crimson Tide this season, and specifically in the secondary where they can't really cover too much of anybody. This game against Georgia, this is one where you absolutely want to be at full strength. And look, I mean, I'll say this. I still have Georgia minus 10 in this game, so I'm a little bit higher than the market. Mm-hmm. But you have to like the way that Tennessee's trending and also you know getting healthy at the right time. Yeah, I want to get back to a team you said you raised the most, and that was Fresno State. Uh, anyone who stayed up late uh, on uh, on Saturday night, if you had a San Diego State money line ticket, like uh, my producer of Veasan Primetime, uh, Britton Hested, my condolences because that was disgusting to lose that. I had San Diego State plus the points, so uh, I was pretty comfortable there. But you get the return of Jake Hayner. This is a team that looked completely out of sorts, traveled across the country, lost to UConn. Uh, mighty UConn, might I add, uh, who just beat Boston College, got smoked by Boise State. And what's incredible, and we'll get to you know your bump here in just a moment, but somehow, some way, Adam, this team, this Fresno State team with Logan Fife at quarterback, found a way to beat San Jose State. And because of this miraculous comeback against San Diego State, two touchdowns in a span of 13 seconds, uh, they're now in the driver's seat to claim the West division of the Mountain West. So anyone who had a Fresno State future ticket that thought it was dead and gone after they got butt-whiffed by Boise State, uh, now you're looking at four games remaining, Hawaii, UNLV, Nevada, Wyoming, where they'll be a favorite in all of those games. And, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting in, a, in decent shape if you've got a Fresno State Mountain West future, Adam. But what did you do with the Bulldogs now that Jay Kaner's back? Yeah, I did move the Bulldogs up six points here. And and look, the two interceptions that Jake Hayner had both came in the end zone. They were both touchbacks. So they were in pretty prime scoring territory, except for the two picks. And he threw for 394 yards, had a pretty nice game overall. Um, Yeah, 32-28 doesn't look that great. And honestly, I mean, the defense, they gave up a lot of yardage to San Diego Mm -hmm. State. Jalen Maiden, by the way, <laughs> this run, this this quarterback, you know, San Diego State's been trying. What they've had Braxton Burmeister and and all these pieces. This dude, Jalen Maiden, for San Diego State, is pretty damn good. He is. He's really good. I mean, certainly, you know, one of the better quarterbacks that they've had over the last several years. Here, what maybe Ryan Lindley is is who you go back to previously. But yeah, I mean, you know, look, and I'll say this. I mean, I took Fresno State down eight points when Hayner got hurt, and I only moved them back up six here because this wasn't a flawless performance from them by any means. But Hayner is just a dramatically better player than Logan Fife. I mean, you know, we watched Logan Fife, as you mentioned, they struggle with UConn. Uh, you know, they had some other issues in, in the games that he started. Hayner being back is a massive upgrade for them. And Look, the, the kid threw for almost four bills just coming back. So, you know, let's see what he does here this week against, uh, you know, pretty poor Hawaii defense. Then they play UNLV. Then they play Nevada. 
they have three really weak games for him to get himself back into you know rhythm, and and he should be able to here with this schedule. Yeah, I uh, late on Saturday night uh, after watching. Notre Dame earlier in the day uh, beat Syracuse in a spot that I think we talked about on the show. We felt like was a good spot for Notre Dame. But uh, now that Halloween's in the rear view and we can start thinking about Christmas and visions of sugar plums, as some people say, I'm trying to figure out what grad transfer is going to come to South Bend. And I'm trying to – does Jay Kaner have eligibility left? Because I'll I'll drive to Fresno right now and uh, start pitching him to come to South Bend next year. But the – you know, that uh, maybe a discussion for, for another podcast on another day. But uh, I love Jake Painter. I might need to find a way to get out to go to that UNLV Fresno game here uh, because he's just he's just fun to watch, man. And and uh, for a Mountain West, Adam, that I it, it feels much down this year. The idea of Fresno Boise in a Mountain West championship is, is pretty intriguing right now because both those teams are playing pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Two extremely different styles, too. I mean, Boise State's been running the football down everybody's throat, and we'll see what they do here this week against BYU. A BYU team is just completely God, uh, awful in a tailspin right now. Uh, but Fresno State has to throw the ball. I mean, we saw they had negative rushing yards in that game against San Diego State last week, and, and you know, Hayner winds up throwing for almost 400. Meanwhile, all Boise State does is run the football. So, That'd be a very interesting contrast of styles if that's ultimately the championship game that we get. All right, let's do a couple more uh, stock ups. And, uh, you know, your your biggest risers, as mentioned, Fresno State plus six with Hayner returning, Tennessee plus five. A couple other teams that you you bumped up a little bit in the power fives, uh, Louisville plus three, Minnesota plus two and a half, a handful of other teams. But I, I also want to pick out Missouri because I've been impressed by them. I bet on them this past weekend and you bumped them up too. So uh, kind of just a, a Cliff Notes version of some of the other risers you have in the P5. Yeah, I mean, for Louisville, look, I there were questions about Scott, Scott Satterfield's job security and they answered the bell for him. And that's always a really intriguing thing for me where, you know, some players – a coach is on the hot seat and you know you you may not get their best effort. You know, you, you may run into a situation where they've just zoned out that coach or, or, or whatever else. That's not the case for Louisville, who's played very, very well here over the last few games. And then another team, you know, we've talked about this a little bit here, kind of more in passing than anything else. Maybe you and, and humans have talked about it more later in the week, but the teams that fire their coach, get an interim coach. I bumped Colorado up three points this week. Colorado has looked significantly better. Granted, they couldn't look any worse, but they've looked significantly better since Carl Durrell was shown the door. So they were a bump up for me. Uh, and then one other one, I have to mention them again, FIU. I mean, Mike McIntyre, and the this cat should be coach of the year with what he's doing down there at FIU. I mean, absolutely incredible job. But I mean, this FIU team, look, I, I don't know if there are two more wins left on the schedule for them, North Texas, FAU, UTEP, and Middle Tennessee. But the idea that this team could make a bowl game after what happened last year, remarkable coaching job by Mike McIntyre. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I totally, totally agree. By the way, I just wanted to pass this along. I was hoping for a little higher price, but uh, I would say Circa Sports is no fool. Um Fresno State right now at Circa, I'm, I, I, I could only imagine what the number was. And obviously, you know, a bit fortunate there to get that onsides kick in the late touchdown. But right now, just plus 225 to win the Mountain West. When we talk about that schedule, the tiebreaker now against San Jose State because of the win, uh, they're really in good shape to uh, to head to that Mountain West championship and get a get a rematch against Fresno, or excuse me, against Boise State, a team that they lost to, but without Jay Kaner. So, uh you know, those are the current odds uh, that they have out there at Circa for uh, for the Mountain West Championship. So uh, let's get to a little stock down. Stock down. All right, with the positive come the negative. We'll get to quarterback injuries because a lot of uncertainty across the country with some quarterbacks. But a team that uh, I faded, but I know our colleague Wes Reynolds wrote it up for vcin.com, which was a nice winner. South Carolina. South Carolina gets the big win against Texas A&M. They're celebrating, they're in the top 25, and this felt like a prime spot to fade them, and uh, boy was it ever. Missouri goes into Columbia, wins by 13, so what did you do with the Gamecocks after uh, after a nice win over Texas A&M uh, last week? 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty frustrated with myself here, Tim, because I, I talked on last week's show. I said, look, I'm going to fade South Carolina in the coming weeks. I'm going to fade them soon. Didn't fade them against Missouri. Oh, no. And it got exactly what I kind of expected. Look, they're a very well-coached team. Shane Beamer is doing a phenomenal job. There's so much more excitement about this program than there has been the last few years. He's done a good job recruiting the Palmetto State, which is very, very important for them. But this team was living on special teams. A lot of smoke and mirrors for them. Very inefficient offense. Spencer Rattler has not looked good for this Gamecocks team. I mean, just offensively, they have all kinds of problems. Marshawn Lloyd's gone off a couple of times. But on the whole, I mean, Spencer Rattler, just a 5-9 to touchdown interception ratio this season. Just not what you would expect from a guy that had his pedigree coming into college. So... This is a team that's almost minus 0.7 yards per play in SEC play. Uh, I missed the boat here. And, and the crazy thing is I actually have value to bet on them this week against Vanderbilt. So we'll see if I end up doing that. But this South Carolina team got moved down four points for me. It was the biggest drop that I had uh, non-injury related. They just, they're not the real deal on offense. The defense is fine and the special teams are good. But offensively, they, they leave a lot to be desired. Well, when you lose to UConn 13 to 3, it's time probably to downgrade you a little bit. And that, of course, would be the Boston College Screaming Eagles. Uh, year three of the Jeff Halfley era has not gone very well whatsoever. Uh, obviously, they've dealt with a lot of injuries, but man, to be two and six, one of your wins against Maine and the other. Somehow, some way, they beat Louisville, uh, and now on a Friday night, they are almost a double-digit dog to Duke at home. Is just saying where this program is. So, uh, how much are you dropping Boston College right now, Adam? Yeah, so Boston College went down only three and a half points for me. I felt like I was kind of a little bit low on them to begin with. I mean, look, this is a team that scored twenty-one points in the last three games. So offensively, it's it's been a major struggle for them. But also something I think is important to start talking about now that we're into the month of November is Boston College is two and six, right? You need six wins to make it to, or to be bowl eligible. Most teams play 12 games. Boston College would have to win out. As you mentioned, yeah. they're a double-digit dog at home to Duke. They'll be a double-digit dog against NC State, who doesn't even really have a quarterback. They'll be a double-digit dog at Notre Dame. And there'll probably be another double-digit dog at home against Syracuse. So these teams that don't really have a chance at getting to a bowl game, I start downgrading them at about this time of the year. Because A, there's really not a whole lot to play for. You know, your goals are kind of out the window. B, if you're Jeff Halfley and you're trying to build up this program, you're going to start playing more of your recruits, more of the freshmen and the sophomores, the redshirt freshmen, all of that. Kids that may be more talented, but also may be prone to making more mistakes. So at this time of the year, the teams that aren't going to reach their goals, the teams that are going to start playing for next year, those are probably teams that you want to downgrade maybe a little bit quicker or at least factor that into your handicap. Well, and I, I'm not making the decision for this young man. If he wants to play it out, congratulations to you. But if you're Zay Flowers, who is a pro wide receiver, all right, at what point do you say I'm out? You know, 54 catches, 726 yards already this year, six touchdowns. All the rest of the receivers for Boston College have six touchdowns. Yeah, if I'm Zay Flowers, and and like I said, you know, I know you can make reasons for a lot of kids to say I'm out, I'm not playing anymore, obviously the bowls and all that stuff. But if you're Zay Flowers, I mean, what's the point right now? You're two and six. You're getting your butts whipped every week. You just lost by 10 to, to UConn. You're, you know, maybe you want to play one more game at home. I don't know. I mean, if he wants to play out the season, best, best on you. But to your point, I would imagine Zay Flowers is going to pack it up soon. It makes just too much sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, maybe, you know, maybe the people in his corner are saying, look, kid, you want film against NC State? Yeah. He still has a decent defense. Go to Notre Dame and play, whatever. Yeah, you want film against Notre Dame. You know, Syracuse's defense has been really good. But frankly, I mean, what what could NFL talent evaluators see in these last four games that they haven't seen already? So, yeah, that's absolutely a thing where, you know, and it's not even just maybe not playing or maybe 
you know, kind of sitting out, whatever the case may be. But just what does that effort level look like on the field where are you going across the middle to make contested catches? Are you going to run the risk of, you know, blowing your knee out, something like that? You know, maybe you kind of play at half speed, you know, and, and I don't know the kid. I mean, I don't mean to make you know generalizations here, but. And, and that's my thing, too. Yeah. And that's my thing, too, Adam. Like, like I, I, I'm not one of those people out there who, you know, make these outlandish decisions. Oh, they shouldn't play their junior year. Oh, you know, some people like playing the sport that they, you know scratch and claw and, and, and love their teammates. So I, I don't know what Zay Flowers' decisions are. I'll honor whatever, but I'm just, as a, as we look at the betting side of things, I know the value on Boston College isn't very high to start with, but if you lose a pro, uh, that is something certainly to keep an eye on. All well, right, one more team. And I think oh, something, something worth mentioning real quick is you think about the situation at Ohio State with Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? Yeah. Like, if, if they're playing... Let's if the Michigan game is in October, right? Is he playing? Probably, you know, but they've been I mean, they've hung 40 on pretty much everybody since they played Notre Dame. So they have eight different wide receivers they can play like there's there's no incentive for him to hurry back and and play a game such as that. So if you're Zay Flowers or if you're one of the other players out there, you know, on a team not really going anywhere and you're dealing with a hamstring, a quad, a calf, an ankle, whatever the case may be you know, do you really push it? And that's something where, you know, in certain circumstances, if you're on a bad team like that, where nobody else on the team has more than 18 receptions, you know, I mean, that that significantly impacts everything. So again, we're just kind of cherry picking flowers as the example here, because we were talking about Boston College, but this will be a thing with other teams around the country for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. All right. Another team that, um, <laughs> Maybe their coach should have rolled out when he had the opportunity. I know he's been flirted with a lot of jobs. He probably is going to be headed back to Ames next year. That would be Matt Campbell and the Cyclones. Another loss. They lose this past weekend to Oklahoma, who somehow, some way, has not cashed its under for me yet. Or, sorry, cashed its, uh, I, I bet, the over nine. So I'm hoping for a push somehow, some way. Unlikely, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Iowa State, what have you done with them uh, after another loss? Yeah, three and a half point downgrade here for Iowa State. And again, you know, one of the things that I really take a look at is is I dig into the box score, you know, and I want to look for efficiency and see how teams are actually doing. And what do we know about Iowa State, right? They play defense and they run the football. Well, they played pretty good defense against Oklahoma, honestly. Only gave up 332 yards on 74 offensive plays, but they ran for 2.4 yards per carry. Quarterback Hunter Deckers was the leading rusher. They only had 374 yards in this game, and Deckers dropped back and threw 57 times. So Iowa State's offense is very, very bad. And in the Big 12 this year, when you look you know, pretty much around the conference, there aren't a lot of good defenses, so I guess that's a feather in their cap, but there's a lot of good offenses, and Iowa State is not one of them. In five conference games, they've scored 78 points. So I dropped them down three and a half points here. I mean, they're 0-5 in Big 12 play. They have played some close games. They do have some close losses. They may be a positive aggression candidate going into next season. But for the rest of this season, I mean, look, another team that they have expectations, right? I mean, Matt Campbell has really built that program up. They could beat West Virginia this week. That's a definite possibility. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU. Are they winning three of these last four games to to make their way to a bowl? I don't think so. So, for me, that's another team where I, I kind of look to maybe sell some more of their stock as this month of November goes along. All right. Uh, a couple more, and these uh, some have to do with injuries. Let's look at Navy uh, because we know that Ty Lavatai is done for the year. Ken Niamatololo announced that after Navy's overtime win over Temple. So, you know, with the triple option, sometimes it's plug and play. You know, when I was on the Navy broadcast team, 2016 they lost a quarterback um right out of the shoot will worth stepped in and they didn't skip a beat and then he gets hurt and then it's a big drop off so it's all about the familiarity the comfortability of running that offense and lava tie to his credit was actually starting to get things rolling there i felt like and then he goes out arlene comes in what have you done with the mids because the the remaining schedule for navy is quite daunting when you look at cincinnati this week 
Notre Dame is still left on there, and I believe uh, a visit with UCF. So, uh, you know, you look at the mids, they're going to have some uphill climbs with uh, a backup quarterback. Yeah, I dropped Navy four points, and maybe that's too much because to a degree, this is kind of a plug-and-play system, but also Lavatai, 91 of the 102 pass attempts, had 115 carries, that was second on the team, whereas our line just with 26 uh, rushing attempts. So, you know, they are definitely downgrading from an experience standpoint. Uh, and also, I mean, our line's a guy who's only five foot nine. I mean, he's a very small quarterback, even for Navy standards. So that's another scenario where, this is a team that is now depth shy at the quarterback position. So I felt like four points was was probably enough here. As you mentioned, their schedule is pretty daunting. And maybe that's something that, you know, you kind of want to consider as well is not just what that player means in a vacuum, but also what that player means relative to the upcoming schedule of taking on Cincinnati, Notre Dame, UCF. And then, of course, the Army-Navy game that we all look forward to on December 10th. Yeah, and uh, our line, I believe, background, I think he's more of a lacrosse player from, from my understanding and my reading uh, about his uh, his recruitment. But, yeah, they'll be they're a 20-plus point underdog this week, same next week against Notre Dame. And that was a spot, I'll say this, you know, as we look ahead, that was a spot I was really looking to back the mids. And maybe still I might uh, because Notre Dame coming off of the Clemson game, going to be a, a massive letdown heading into a triple option situation. <laughs> Uh, in a neutral field, and then UCF a little bit later on. Other injuries to keep an eye on. You know, I'm very curious what's going to happen with Kansas. Kansas is coming off the bye. Uh, So I'll just – we'll speak it out here. I'm curious your thoughts. Because Kansas was a team that I faded three consecutive weeks. After they got to kind of the level of America's darling, I faded them against Iowa State when they were a three-point – home underdog. They win 14 to 11. Iowa State misses two field goals. And uh, I wanted to punch Matt Campbell in the face for a couple of decisions that he made. Then the following week, it's TCU. I laid the six with T- six and a half with TCU, barely got home in that one. That's the game that Daniels got hurt. Then the following week, it was eight and a half when we talked about on the podcast, got up to 10 and a half and Kansas loses that game. Then they've just kind of been in a bit of a free fall here. Now you're coming off a bye, and you're playing uh, a team where I'm curious your thoughts because Oklahoma State is coming off of the butt whipping uh, at the hands of Kansas State. Kansas is at home, and look at that schedule, uh, Adam. To me, this is desperation center for Kansas. Off a bye, you win this game, you're bowl eligible for the first time, I think in like five or six years, something like that, maybe even longer. If you lose this game, now you're staring at five and seven. I think this is their opportunity to get this win, to get bowl eligible. But is Jalen Daniels going to be back? The the, the market's kind of telling me yes, because it's down to just minus two. Yeah, so a little bit this afternoon, there was kind of some rumblings that, you know, Jalen Daniels is at practice. You know, Lance Leopold was talking about him being back. They release their depth chart, and it does say or, or under the yep. quarterback position, but Jalen Daniels' name is listed first. So my thought would be that he is going to play here. And, and right after the injury happened, you know, Leopold came out and said, look, it's not a season-ending thing. We'll just kind of see where we are. So it seems like maybe now they're at that point where he could be in a position to come back. Obviously, this is a Kansas team that's not very good defensively, but can be very dynamic on offense. And I... I Maybe you can answer this better than I can, Tim. I don't know what the hell to think of Oklahoma State. I, I just really, truly don't. I don't know if last week was just hitting a wall for them or, or what the case was, but that is clearly not a good look. You know, now they're two games back in the Big 12, and they could still make their way into the Big 12 championship game. It would, would take a lot of finagling and, you know, maybe getting a little bit of help, but. Man, I, I don't know what to think of Oklahoma State, but as you said, I do think this line implies that Jalen Daniels will be back. This is this is wild to look at. You know, and these are just raw stats. I know there's better ways to to look at, you know, you know, EPA per play, all that stuff. Oklahoma State at six and two is getting outgained this year by 20 yards per game. Think about that. They're a six and two football team. They're allowing 455 yards per game and uh, averaging 435 yards per game. I mean, that is, 
you, you talk about an impact, and we wondered, I think, the loss of Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, a lot of senior veteran players, you know, the most notably Rodrigo, who's on the Lions from Hard Knocks fame. I mean, this defense in Oklahoma State is bad. Now, Kansas, as you mentioned, also not a great defense. But, you know, these spots where Oklahoma State now, this will be, I believe, they had an early bye week. So this is their fifth. This could be their sixth consecutive game, all conference games. I really wish they didn't get their, you know, butts whipped by Kansas State. So maybe this was a little a little juicier and and people weren't going to be looking to fade uh, fade Oklahoma State. But, you know, I it's funny, the betting public, and, and we'll see how the you know splits go as the week go on. But I feel like once Kansas started to kind of lose their, you know, sexiness, now people may be looking to fade them or it's out of sight, out of mind. So I, 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 I'm mad I missed the three. I just, I couldn't bet this game unless I knew Jalen Daniels was playing. And I still don't know. So I haven't bet it yet, but I, I'm looking to bet Kansas here in this spot because, you know, as, as silly as this sounds, and I know a lot of people, Adam, think, oh, bowl games are, are worthless and some schools look at it as it, it it doesn't mean much. Kansas does. I mean, Kansas has just struggled forever and look at that schedule, right? If you don't win this Oklahoma state game, it's at Texas tech dog home to Texas, big dog at Kansas state with a potential trip to the big 12 championship on the line for the purple cats, big dog. Again, they got to win this game if they want to get to six and six. Yeah, I think so. And, and look, I think this is something that's important. And CFBStats.com does this. If you go in and you kind of look at the different stat categories, you can see non-conference versus conference play. And for Oklahoma State, 6.91 yards per play in their three non-conference games. That includes 8.3 yards per play against the one FCS opponent that they played. In their five Big 12 games, Oklahoma State, 4.88 yards per play and they're giving up 6.1. So that's a very, very big difference in terms of you know their numbers in, in Big 12 play versus their non-conference schedule. And it does skew their data points for the full season because it looks like, you know, as you mentioned, they're only getting outgained by 20 yards per game, but it's very different in conference play. And that's yards per play differential. I've noticed as a stat that does carry a lot of weight in the betting markets. It is something that will create line moves. And specifically, when you look at it from a conference standpoint, since now we have four, five, six data points for everybody, that's a stat that's really, really important. And for Oklahoma State, how badly they look in that department, Jalen Daniels coming back, I think Kansas closes the favorite in this game. Ooh, all right. Well, maybe I need to. Uh, maybe I need to get in a little, uh, a little sooner in the the Jayhawks. I was staring at the board, uh, honestly, just. Looking at it like Mr. Pitt and Seinfeld, you know, seeing if I could find uh, some some games that I liked. And it, it was hard, but Kansas was one that jumped out at me. And I, yeah, as people know, you know, there's so many different ways to bet. You know, obviously, you know, Adam, you have your power ratings and you want to bet a lot based off of that. I'm a big situational better. And I think every team's different. I just think this is a very, very important game for Kansas. Not to say that's definitely coming home, but. I just I, I like the spot here. Uh, a couple other teams, real quickly, I just want to hit on um, that. I mean, how about Friday night? The the stunning news that Cam Rising was out for Utah. Now they get the win, don't get the cover. Uh, people like like I did had Washington State plus seven and a half. That was a a pleasant surprise to see. But if Cam Rising is out for Utah moving forward, uh, what does that do to the Utes? Yeah, for me, it's it's a five-point adjustment now, and, and we'll kind of wait and see what sort of happens there. And look, this is a discussion for probably another day because it would wind up taking us way too long on the show. But in the era of legalized sports betting, they need to figure something better out with college football injuries. And, and I understand that there are gray areas. You know, these are college students. Uh, you know, maybe we don't have a right to know everything that's going on from a medical standpoint like we do in, in the professional leagues and all of that. But you can't have a situation where it seems like absolutely nobody knew about this. You know, we talked about it on the show last week that, you know, the line was kind of coming down a little bit in that Toledo Eastern Michigan game with the expectation that Daquan Finn was probably going to be out for the Rockets. And he was. 
nobody had any inclination that Cam Rising was going to be out in this game. And in fact, there was some late money coming in on Utah right before kickoff. So nobody knew about this. And look, these, these college coaches don't owe any of us anything. They quite frankly, don't give a damn about betting. And obviously they're, you know, they'll say there's gray areas with, with college students and all that anyway, but this, this needs to be a much more transparent process. And I don't know if it ever will be, but, you know, there are other teams here this week where, you know, like we said, we, we think Jalen Daniels is going to play. The line is trending that way. But there are other teams this week where, you know, what what's this James Madison line if Todd Santillo somehow doesn't play? You know, what's this SMU line where they're down to their third string quarterback, Kevin Jennings, if Tanner Mordecai doesn't play? And you can assume that now because those guys were out last week. But the rising thing happening just minutes before kickoff? I, it's, that's ludicrous to me. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, I was out and about after, uh, after, you know, my show VEASAN primetime on, on Friday and <laughs> I had Washington state in pocket and I get, you know, look down. I'm like, we can't rise. stop playing. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, I, I do want to hit on one thing. This is kind of merging segments here. Uh, but you know what? Let's uh, we'll we'll hit the sounder now uh, because uh, let's get to some letdown spots. Let down and look ahead. You mentioned James Madison. One of the games that I immediately wanted to jump in on was James Madison at Louisville on Saturday. Once again, situational spot. Louisville just beat a top ten team. They dominated that game. I'll give them that. But eight turnovers. I mean. <laughs> So the, the score a bit misleading. Uh, they they probably should have won that game regardless against Wake. And now you're playing James Madison. And we saw from open at Circa to late Sunday night, there was a quick move on JMU from 10 down to 7. And then we started to see a little bit of bounce back because we don't know about the quarterback situation, like you said, with Centeo. And I want to bet James Madison. I really do. I think it's a letdown spot. I think James Madison coming off a bye. They don't get to play in a bowl game because there's some ridiculous rule that says FCS to FBS. You can't be bowl eligible year one. I think James Madison might treat this as their Super Bowl, uh, going to an ACC team at nighttime. But I can't play James Madison if they don't have their starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, you know, their head coach, Kurt Signetti, said basically nothing. He said, we'll know as the week progresses. So I don't know what that means. You know, and, and look, I mean, for James Madison, when they played Marshall a couple of weeks ago without Centio, they, they were, were 0 for 17 on third down. I, they were 0 for 19 on third and fourth down. Like, I, I don't know how you don't accidentally – get a first down on, on third down. Billy Atkins, backup quarterback, 13 of 35 for 164, a touchdown, and four interceptions. So in my mind, this line implies that Centio will be back. And I don't know that for sure, but that's what this line kind of implies to me. But then when you look at how god-awful they were without him, like, you can't bet this game early in the week. There's just nothing that you can really do with it, I don't think. And to your point, I mean, look, Louisville's got Clemson next week and then NC State after that, and then the Kentucky rivalry game after that. Is James Madison enough for Scott Satterfield to keep them focused? Maybe, but I that's a really, really interesting game. And another one of those odd scheduling spots for a team, like how, you know, Wake Forest plays Army in the middle of ACC play. I don't know what these athletic directors are thinking, but it is uh, it is not a great spot for Louisville if James Madison is at full strength. couple other games, and we don't have to go too deep in depth here on some letdown spot, uh, but just curious to get your opinion. The Michigan postgame situation was, was horrendous, obviously, but they get a win over a rival, uh, Michigan does, and they're they're you know we'll see what they're ranked in the you know the college football playoff rankings that are revealed you know later tonight tuesday night but 26 and a half is a whole hell of a lot of points coming off a rivalry game to be playing against a Rutgers team who's not very good but 
I feel like this is the spot that Greg Schiano kind of shines in. Is Michigan in a bit of a letdown spot? It's not a look ahead because Nebraska is waiting in the wings and they wrap up with uh, back-to-back uh, tough games against Illinois and Ohio State. But curious your thoughts if this is has some letdown feels going on the road to Rutgers where you're laying 26 and a half. Yeah, this will be in my situational article over at vcin.com that will come out uh, on Tuesday morning. So it should be out by the time you get this podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I barked up the Rutgers tree last week against Minnesota. They were getting 14 in the low totaled game. They got shut out by the Golden Gophers. But look, I mean, Michigan had that monster second half against Penn State. Then they take care of their affairs against Michigan State. As you mentioned, you know, you had all the uh, all the BS that happened after the game. But, man, I, I don't know if 26 is enough to take Rutgers. I, I just – I tried it last week. Maybe I'm a little bit gun shy. It is a very bad spot for Michigan. There's no question about that. But maybe Rutgers is just that bad. So, <laughs> I th- that's – you know, the hard part about these – the situational spots you look at, especially with the unpalatable teams like a Rutgers – is the spot enough because they are clearly inferior in so many ways to Michigan. Is the spot enough to be that great equalizer? I don't know the answer to that question here in this game, but I'll say this. I couldn't bet Michigan. I just don't know if I can bet Rutgers. Yeah, there's no way you can bet Michigan here. All right, final one, and I'm sure there's others, but final one that kind of jumped out to me. And it, it also goes hand in hand with some injuries. It's UCF. UCF beats Cincinnati. They blow a lead. John Reese Plumley gets knocked out of the game, and then they're able to get in the end zone, beat their arch rival Cincinnati, sit in really good shape to head to the AAC championship game. Now they still have Tulane left on the schedule, which is which is huge, and maybe a look ahead spot. Now you go on the road to what will probably be a 25% filled Liberty Bowl in Memphis. Memphis has lost three straight. Now, I think a lot of the line movement has to do with the uncertainty of Reese Plumley at quarterback, but you saw this open six at Circa and go down to three. So is this a tricky spot for UCF on Saturday at UC, uh, at Memphis? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. I mean, the, the Plumlee injury is a big deal because it's not just been throwing the ball. It's also been running the ball where he's been really, really effective for this UCF team. And Mikey Keene did what he had to do last week against Cincinnati, a Cincinnati team that a lot of people felt was very overrated going into that game. And you know they didn't really show themselves all that well. Um, look, I mean, if Plumlee doesn't play, I certainly don't like the prospects of this game for UCF. But something else I think is important to mention here with this game and and our own Wes Reynolds has talked about this a lot. You know, teams that get ranked, you know, yep. what happens to them in that next game? I mean, Tulane was able to overcome it, ironically enough, against Memphis. They played a great first half, a terrible second half, flirted with not even covering the spread in that game. But South Carolina, top 25 last week, lose to Missouri. James Madison, top 25 a few weeks ago, lose to Georgia Southern. It, it's a different kind of feel now when you're kind of being the hunted. And you've got three teams this week, Liberty, Oregon State, which I think is a really fascinating game against Washington, and then UCF, three teams now in the top 25 for the first time this season. And specifically for Oregon State, who hasn't been there since 2013, it's kind of an interesting spot. But that is kind of a thing. You know, you you get ranked, you get that number next to your name, and there tends to be an element of a flat spot there. So we'll see if that happens for UCF in this one. One that I want to mention real quick before we move on from the situational Mm -hmm. spots. We talked about it at the top already uh, with TCU and, and what they did against West Virginia last week. I noticed that this afternoon, this line went down to single digits. It's now Texas Tech plus nine and a half against TCU. This might be the flat spot here for TCU because the thing that kept me off of West Virginia and, and fading the Horn Frogs in a bad spot last week was that West Virginia's defense is awful. Texas Tech's defense isn't nearly that bad, and it's pretty decent by Big 12 standards. If I'm looking for a high-powered, high-octane offense to have a letdown spot, I want a defense that can maybe stand up a little bit. And I think Texas Tech can do that better than West Virginia can. It's an early kick in Fort Worth. You know, it's going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff for them. They've got Texas on deck. I think this might be the week that I do fade TCU here. So I might be on Texas Tech 
particularly if this line gets back up to 10. You know what? I hadn't even really thought of that, and I love it. Uh, absolutely love it. Uh, I had a, a, a rather lengthy discussion with, uh, with my partner, Sean King, about TCU on Monday night's show. And I don't know if he was just trying to push my buttons, but he said, look, I'm, I'm going to bet TCU to, you know, win the, win the national championship. I'm like, are you crazy? I was like, I, they're definitely losing a game. So let me ask you this. They got four games left in the regular season. And I wasn't even counting the big 12 title game. They have Texas tech at home at Texas, where there'll be a dog at Baylor. Uh, probably not a dog. And then Iowa state. If I give you over under 11 and a half wins, you take an over or under for TCU. Well, I mean, look, you know, it, I realize you probably just wanted a one word answer here, but the Texas Tech game, I think it's tricky. They'll win it, but I think it's tricky. That could be one that's way too close for comfort, kind of a la Oklahoma State or Kansas State, something like that, I think is a possibility. If they go on the road and beat Texas in Austin, and then they've got to play Baylor after this long run of games that they've had. And we just saw Baylor, and I don't know if maybe it's more of a commentary on Texas Tech. Maybe I shouldn't take the Red Raiders this week, but we just saw Baylor crush Texas Tech on the road. Baylor, I think, still has it in them. I really like this Baylor team coming into the year, and they've disappointed me, but I still think there's a lot of talent, and I still think they're really well coached under Dave Aranda. If TCU beats Texas in Austin on November 12th, I think they lose to Baylor November 19th. So I think they lose one of those two road games there. All right. We've been waiting all year for this, Adam. You have been waiting all year for this as well. Are we talking about UMass and UConn? Uh, No. I mean, close. Close. What the hell, Tim? What are we we doing here? We we have a sounder, and we haven't been able to use it. (laughs) Throw it in there because we got Maction. Maction. All right. It is here tonight, Tuesday. Hopefully you're listening to this when it hits your feed on Tuesday morning, but we got Maction on Wednesday. I'll run through the games. You are the mayor of Maction, Adam, because you're from that area, and boy, do you like following that conference. Ball State, Kent State, as of record, Kent State laying seven at home, seven o'clock Eastern on Tuesday night. 62 and a half is the total Buffalo at Ohio. The Bobs catching three against the Buffalo Bulls, 58 and a half. The total. Uh, those are the Tuesday games. Uh, do you want anything of, uh, of either one of those games, Adam on Tuesday night? Well, I'm going to have to check the weather forecasts a little bit closer here, but the Buffalo and Ohio total looks a little bit cheap to me at 58 and a half. I mean, Ohio is very, very pathetic defensively. That's been kind of their MO throughout the course of the year, but they are pretty good on the offensive side. Buffalo's gotten better as the season has gone along pretty much on both sides of the ball. But I think this could be kind of one of those maxion games where we see a lot of back and forth, limited defense, uh, you know, because Ohio, if I'm Tim Albin, I look at this game and I say, well, I better hang 40 because I don't know if I'm going to hold this team under 30. So, you know, I think that Ohio's really got to try to push for some offense. They played defense a couple weeks ago. A lot of it was turnover driven. Uh, So I think that's a game that could be a little bit high scoring. And and I maybe lean a little bit to Ohio. Um, For those that don't know, Ohio has an epic Halloween party. So I don't know how hungover the (laughs) student fan base will be for tomorrow night's game, but I'm sure they'll just pick it up and, you know, uh, do what college kids do and, and bounce back rather nicely with some, you know, breakfast for champions. But in the other game, Ball State and Kent State, I, I think seven is is too much here for Ball State. A lot of people are still kind of harping on this Kent State thing where they played Washington, Oklahoma, and Georgia in the non-conference. And Flash fast. Actually played okay against Georgia, oddly enough. But they've not impressed me at all whatsoever in MAC play. You know, and, and, and Colin Schley will probably be back for this game. That's probably why this line's gone up a little bit. They only beat Akron by six. Akron's terrible. They lost by 21 to Toledo, lost at Miami of Ohio, only beat Ohio by seven. I'm still waiting for Kent State to look like the team that the market thinks that they are. I have this game more like three and a half or four. So I kind of like Ball State a little bit in this one. All right. Wednesday, Maction, baby. We got the Chips, Central Michigan at Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois laying four. Uh, And then my king. 
the Bowling Green Falcons. Already cashed my season win total over. Thank you very much. Bowling Green laying four and a half against Western Michigan. Both those games kicking off 7 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday night. Is Rocky Lombardi back for NIU? I believe so. The I think the line kind of implies that he might That's be. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Um, look, all, all four of these teams are bad. I mean... <laughs> Hey, in my eyes, Bowling Green is terrific because we got over three and a half. They are three and one here in conference play, despite getting out game or despite getting outscored by eight points because they got blown away by Buffalo. Um, look, all of these mid-tier MAC teams have just been moving targets all season long. They'll kind of beat each other. You know, I mean, you look at that West Division, for example. Toledo's four and one. Two teams are two and two. One is two and three, and others or a couple others are one and three, including Central Michigan and Northern Illinois. Here, I don't really know what to do with with these four teams specifically. Uh, I will say that you know it looks like Bowling Green must be getting healthier, or maybe Western Michigan is getting less healthy because that line has blown right through three, all the way up to as high as four and a half. So that's a pretty sharp move early in the week, and and I don't get too caught up in the public and sharp thing and all that. But when you see line movements take place early on in the week, specifically to go through a key number, that says a lot. So to me, it would imply that uh, Bowling Green, alma mater of our good friend, Brad Powers, uh, it would appear that Bowling Green is, is the right side in that game. Uh, and I Central Michigan's a decent defense. Their offense is really, really awful, though. So if Rocky Lombardi is back for Northern Illinois, I could see them you know, kind of flexing their muscle a little bit in that game. All right, let's wrap up with this. Uh, By the way, there are games on Thursday, too. If if you're so inclined, we got Minor Nation against the uh, Rice Owls. Rice, as of record, laying three and a half. And then maybe a little uh, shine off of this, but a a really good Sunbelt game. App State and Coastal with with a total of 63 and a half. And the, the boys from Boone laying three on the teal turf. Yeah, you know, Coastal Carolina, when they lost to Old Dominion, their only loss of the season, but they lost 49-21. to 21. Uh, Blake Watson ran for 259 yards on 19 carries. So Coastal did not defend the run well in that game. And obviously, as we know, Appalachian State is a team that can run it very, very effectively. I know Cameron Peoples has been banged up. Um, you know, for Coastal, Grayson McCall's having a pretty decent year, all things considered, losing basically all of his skill players from last year. He still has a 19 to one touchdown interception ratio. I agree with that total that's moved up from 61 to 63 and a half. I think this could be a high scoring, a uh, very fun, fun belt game here between App State and Coastal. Yeah, loaded up on the weekdays as it should be. And that's the way it will be until Thanksgiving. And uh, we've got a one versus two matchup. I think once we get those college p- p- football playoff rankings revealed uh, tonight, Tuesday night, it will be Tennessee number one and Georgia number two. That's just my prediction. Um, and uh, we'll get a one versus two matchup for the first time since uh, Alabama LSU. And I think just the second in what, 10 years or something like that in the regular season. So that will be great to see Alabama LSU. Of course, that'll be playing uh, at night death Valley on, uh, on Saturday. And then Notre Dame Clemson uh, top five Clemson uh, only a, four point favorite on the road is this the time that they get nipped we will see but uh you know before we bid farewell uh obviously matt and i will uh, talk about those matt humans and myself on thursday's pod but any uh parting shots parting thoughts on those three marquee matchups this weekend well i i think the alabama line's a little bit high i have this one more like alabama minus 10 um obviously you don't make a lot of spending money when you bet against Nick Saban. So that's something I could understand, you know, being a little hesitant about, but at the same time, I mean, as good as Bryce Young is, the wide receivers are not up to Alabama level this season. The defense is definitely not up to Alabama level. Brian Kelly's doing a really good job with LSU. You know, I mean, they've really progressed as the season's gone along. So that line feels still a little bit too high to me. Um I do think Tennessee meets it meets its match and loses this game to Georgia. I don't know if I'd be rushing to bet Georgia to cover the eight, eight and a half, even though I do have it uh, more like 10 in, in my power ratings. But I just I feel like this is 
you know, the opportunity where Georgia kind of comes to shine a little bit and we'll see if Tennessee is able to keep up. And then um, look, that Clemson Notre Dame game, you know, we've kind of talked about this and, and Notre Dame has been, you know, one of those aforementioned moving targets throughout the course of the season. But can you beat Clemson without being able to throw the ball? I mean, can you no. hang around in a game with Clemson without being able to throw the ball? I would say no. I, I agree with where this line is going here with Clemson being a little bit bigger of a favorite than where they opened. And I do have it three in my power ratings, but I understand why it's gone up here. And I, I think that Clemson's probably the side that I would look to in this game. Yeah, we'll talk. I'll talk more about this with Matt. Uh, I haven't talked to Matt about it. I, I would imagine Matt will be looking at the Irish here and uh, – I was a bit surprised to see the money come in on Notre Dame. It got down as low as three and second shout out to uh, our good friend, Brad powers, but uh, he laid, I think five dimes. He tweeted it out on Clemson minus three. You know, last week we talked about it here. We talked about it in depth on Thursday's podcast. I rarely bet Notre Dame just because I'm a fan, but I, I love the matchup for Notre Dame last weekend. They had undersized, defensive lineman. I thought it was a letdown spot for Syracuse after losing against Clemson. And, and honestly, I don't think Syracuse is that good of a football team, to be honest. And Notre Dame did exactly what you were supposed to do. Now it got a little squirrely there late, but they got a couple turnovers. They, you know, pounded it down their throat, but Notre Dame is not going to pound it down Clemson's throat. And when you have, this is, you know, I'm about to do a Ricky Bobby, you know, but I said, with all due respect, I mean, Drew Pine is a, at best, group of five quarterback. I think more of an FCS-type quarterback. He's 5'10". You know, he's been called out by his offensive coordinator. Uh, he says he likes hard coaching, so I'll see how it plays out. But they also don't have great playmakers uh, outside, outside of Michael Mayer. So I think it's a really tall task. I will say this, though, final thought on this game, is that Notre Dame has risen to the occasion, Adam, in the games that they've played where they're either an underdog or a favorite of less than a touchdown, they're 4-0 ATS this year. And in games where they're a favorite of a touchdown or more, they're 0-4 ATS. So they they tend to play their best in, in big spots. This would be the best crowd at home that they've had this year by, by leaps and bounds. I, I just don't know. And Clemson's coming off a bye, too. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, I, I would look Clemson a little bit here. Uh, personally, just because I think the matchups play to their advantage. Well, and let me mention one more thing, because I know you mentioned off the top in the intro, you know, talking a little bit about the Heisman and Cal yeah. it's kind of a two horse race. So I think, I think we can end on this. If you think Hendon Hooker will win the Heisman, don't bet him to win the Heisman, bet the Tennessee money line this week, because I think Hendon Hooker has to win this game to win the Heisman trophy. So, you're getting what plus two fifty or so on Tennessee on the money line. You could probably find a little bit better than that, depending on the book that you look at. Hennon Hooker is what minus one ten, even money, maybe plus one ten. You can find out there to win the Heisman. I think he's got to win this game. To he'll go to New York probably regardless, but I think to win it, I think he's got to win this game. So you might as well just bet the Tennessee money line if you think Hennon Hooker is your Heisman. I could not have said it better myself. Uh, he is. At DraftKings, I don't know what he is at other spots. I just pulled it up before the show. Minus 110. C.J. Stroud's plus 190. So, yeah, if you're jonesing for some Hendon Hooker and you didn't get, you know, an outrageous number, I think someone tweeted me saying they had 125 to 1. Good on you. But, yeah, at this point, uh, yeah, bet the money line because if they lose this game, I, I, I have a hard time imagining he wins the Heisman Trophy because they'd be 11 and 1 and there's no final showcase for him at the SEC Championship. If they win, yeah, he's going to be in great shape. So I 100% agree. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, that's the way I would roll. If you, if you want, I'm going to steal that from my show, by the way. We're going to talk about that because I like that. Uh, if you like Hendon Hooker and you haven't placed that bet yet, I would say go ahead and, uh, and roll, with, uh, roll with him to, uh, to win or money line this weekend. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I, right now, I have Ohio State a 12-point favorite over Michigan in that, you know, um, likely playoff eliminator coming up here Thanksgiving weekend. And he absolutely has the chance to put up some absurd numbers the next three weeks if he wants to because they're laying 38-and-a-half against Northwestern. They'll be maybe as big or bigger at home against Indiana. 
And the Maryland game might be a little squirrely for them, but I mean, he should be able to do whatever he wants in that game. CJ Stroud should put up numbers the next three weeks and shouldn't really get hit a lot or anything like that. So, you know, I mean, look, he's, and then he's a 12 point favorite, 13 point favorite in his biggest regular season test. Not to mention, look, maybe he'll have problems with Illinois. I guess that's a possibility if that's who comes out of the Big Ten West uh, in that conference championship game, assuming that they get there. But I think we're in a situation where, C.J. Stroud can win the Heisman losing to Michigan, and I don't think Hendon Hooker can win the Heisman losing to Jordan. I agree. I do. And uh, it's going to be a massive game. CBS 330 will break it down more in-depth, certainly come Thursday's pod with Matt Humans. Make sure to check out vsin.com for all of Adam's write-ups, the power ratings, which we alluded to at the start of the podcast, and, of course, his situational spots, his selections for this upcoming weekend, and uh, hopefully I can get back on the uh, on the winning ways. Nothing like losing two bets by a total of two points on my two write-ups uh, on the website, which was uh, super-duper fun uh, this past weekend. So uh, that's going to do it for this podcast. As always, we say rate, review, and subscribe. Please and thank you. Um, for Adam Burke at Skating Tripods, I am Tim Murray. We're back on Thursday with another v Sin college football betting podcast. Till then, see you folks. <laughs>